Greetings from the Athletics Recreation Center. A few pre-pod announcements for you. Children are to be under the supervision of a parent or guardian at all times. Valparaiso University is a smoke-free campus. Please refrain from using tobacco products anywhere on university property. We thank you for your cooperation. And now your hosts from Las Vegas, Nevada, Parker Gatewood, and from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Paul Oren. Welcome to Union Street Hoops! Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a weekly podcast you can hear on NWI.com and on iTunes. I'm your host, Paul Oren, at NWI Oren on Twitter, and I'm always joined by my dear good friend, co-host Parker Gatewood at Parker B. Gatewood on Twitter. Parker, it's the time, It's the, every four years we do this, not we do this, but every four years we do this, the Olympics. Right, absolutely. Are you a winter or summer Olympics fan? Yeah, you know, so I, I enjoy both, but obviously... Um, this you know I'm a summer olympics person I will I will cancel plans to watch the summer olympics I'm not doing that for the winter olympics okay. it's uh, it's different you have a, a different take though yeah. I, I hear no I'm a winter olympics person here but so I'm I'm curious american ninja warrior that kind of mentality where would that fall in line cuz it feels like kind of like an extreme sport a little uh-huh. bit but maybe not I don't know no where... yeah yeah um Actually, you know, there's been talks. Um, if you if you kind of follow the sport and the people who you know have inside information about it, uh, there have been talks about it being an Olympic sport down the down the line, which would be super cool. But um, I think that would def- it would definitely be a summer. I would think it so, would be yeah. a summer Olympic event if it were to ever amount to anything. That would be cool. I love the Winter Olympics because they are sports that I just don't think normal people participate in. And for me, like I. Yeah, like, sure, I like watching Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte and all of that. And that's great, but it's just like, I've jumped in a pool before. <laughs> I know what it's like to swim. I don't know what it's like to swim like they do. Right. But, like, there's there's like an unknown allure to the luge and to skeleton and even to curling. That like, I just don't know what these things are. So I think they're 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 more fascinating to watch. I care less about who wins. Like, I don't care who wins in the luge. I just like watching them go fast. Uh-huh, right. In a track meet or in a swim swimming meet, I enjoy seeing who wins because you're kind of racing against each other. Sure. You're racing against yourself. Okay, well, so here's so here's my question, though. Uh, is it the same for you, then, in the summer with, like, things like fencing and equestrian and yeah. all these other random sports? No, those things are so fascinating to me because it's like people dedicate their entire lives to be amazing at something that... And really, you can almost argue that all sports are futile in nature. But like, people are like they dedicate their lives to being good at fencing, right? To what end? Yeah. Like, what sure. good does? I mean, I guess self defense. <laughs> I was right. I was going With in a flimsy on flimsy uh, sword. <laughs> I was going in on the biathlon the other day, saying what like what? Who decided? Hey, we're going to create an event where you ski, you stop, <laughs> you shoot a gun for a while, and then you <laughs> ski, and then I think like. Out of every Olympic event, that's probably the most tangible because, like, when you're out there in, in the wilderness and the cold and you got to go get food <laughs> and you only got five bullets. Uh, like, right, right. You got to use them. Man. So that's interesting. Like, I, but I always like would look at gymnastics and I would think, like, what, what good is being a good gymnastic person doing? Then it's like, well, what good is being a good basketball player? Like they're. I mean, okay. Well, being good at gymnastics, I think that you know you can do a lot of things when you have those skills: flexibility, agility, quickness. You know, upper body strength. Okay. Okay. Like, okay. I'm, ju- I'm just. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, I just like it. You know, it's it. It's crazy. Like again, you know, fencing or 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 all. Of the, there's so many odd sports that are out there. Yeah. That, you know, but they're fun. They're right. Look, I love the Summer Olympics. I'm not trying to say I don't like the Summer yeah. Olympics. I just think that the sheer watchability of the Winter Olympics is more fun. I mean, give me give me short track speed skating, and I'm in heaven. You put <laughs> four people on a little block of ice, and, yeah, and going around and around, around and around. around. Yeah, yeah that's I love good. it. I love it. So, 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 what you're saying, really, though, it's not it's not so much about summer versus winter. It's more about 
sports that aren't routinely covered and you don't see all the time. Yeah, I don't like I don't really care much about Olympic basketball. I got into it last summer. I mean, Olympics. we know who's going to win every time. Yeah, I got into it because Ryan Brokoff was in it and that was fun. That's true. And That's I probably true. cheered cuz I know him. I probably cheered more for Australia than I've ever cheered for anything in the Olympics before. Right. Uh-huh. Cuz you know, you, you knew the guy. And and they had a legitimate chance. Yeah, they were good. Before that, they had a Valpo had a guy named Joaquim Gomez, Kikis Gomez, who was like the 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 earlier version of Vashiel in terms of Oh, interesting. Everybody loved him. Just a, a really good guy. To the, not uh, to the same extent though, I assume. No, I think he and I think he and Vashiel uh were very similar yet very different. Right. And uh and but I, I would say that uh, he made the Angolan Olympic team. Oh wow! But they they never had a chance. Uh-huh, sure. So, uh huh. So we got some Valpo games to talk about here. We do and uh, and I I ruffled some feathers in the valley a little bit. <laughs> I think, and I didn't mean to. Uh huh. But I meant to. Right. You know, like uh-huh. you kind of want to be a little smug about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Valpo. You got to make your presence felt yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Hey guys, I'm the new. I'm the new. Beat I'm the reporter. new guy. I'm the new guy. Let's let's see if we can piss everybody <laughs> off. <laughs> right. In, right. Uh, in year one, uh, Valpo goes and plays Evansville, and uh, and Valpo hard fought game. The the script Parker is getting nauseatingly familiar, I think, for Valpo. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go on the road. They play real strong in the first half. They have a halftime lead, a close halftime lead. Second half, they go on one of their scoreless droughts like they normally do. The opposing team gets a 10-point lead or something like that. I think it was an 8-point lead for Evansville. That uh, was their, was their high-water mark. And then Valpo kind of furious rally down the stretch and uh, makes it close, cuts it down, and then ultimately the road team ends up pulling out the game in the final three or four minutes. Right, and that's what we, that's what we saw here. Valpo loses sixty three fifty nine to Evansville, and uh, you know, kind of a weird game for Valpo. Tavon Walker only played twenty three minutes, uh, in foul trouble throughout. Mm-hmm. One of four from the floor, only only scored two points. It was you know one of the the lowest, and with him getting some early foul trouble. Ryan Taylor went off. Michigan City grad, 31 points in that game. Almost half of what Evansville had. Yeah, right. Uh, Bakari Evelyn, 15 points, four rebounds, four assists, two steals. And he played 39 minutes. And then Marcus Golder off the bench, knocked down three of seven three-pointers, 15 points. He was 6 of 10 from the floor. And really, we saw a continuation there of... uh, there's really strong outings from Marcus Golder recently. Yeah, definitely. Him and him and Bakari both have been playing pretty well uh, uh, of late, and you know, obviously that's that bodes well more so for the future than it does currently because you know you can look at the season and say that you know it's just a completely uphill climb that probably you'll keep climbing for a while and you may not yeah. get anywhere. But um, but I mean, for them to be playing well, especially this time of year, you know, conference play, it I mean, it bodes well. So. Valpo had 23 field goals in that game. Evansville had 22. Valpo knocked down eight three-pointers, which is five more than the three that Evansville had. But the difference in the game— And this is where you ruffled feathers. This is where I ruffled feathers. Evansville, 16 of 23 from the free-throw line, and Valpo's 5 of 5. Uh-huh. You have like a little grin on your face right now. <laughs> it's, not... a, it's fun to talk about, you know? Valpo uh, out, you know, outshot— 23 to 5 in free throws and that came on the heels of them going to Southern Illinois where Valpo shot 11 and Southern Illinois shot 24. So here's what happened after the game. What had happened? <laughs> what had happened after the game? I'm thinking to myself, man, 23 to 5. That's a big discrepancy. Very much so. And look, Valpo's bad this year. Yes. You know, and maybe bad isn't the right word. They're they're not to the normal level that they're going to play. But Valpo's not they're underperforming. They're underperforming. So, and and I feel like a lot of times they have been a step slow to certain things. We've seen sure. it at home games. We've seen it on the road. A lot of times they're just a step slow getting to a spot. And as Al Pacino on any given Sunday tells you, one half inch too short or too fast, you don't quite catch it. You don't quite get there. And and so that can lead to a lot of fouls. Yes. But other teams are fouling too, right? And so I wanted to see. What was Valpo doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I looked, and so this is prior to last night's Loyola game, but 
Valpo at home has shot 136 free throws. And on the road, they've – or no, at home they've shot 136 and their opponents have shot 121. So Valpo there has got a 15 free throw advantage. Sure, which seems pretty, you know, home teams should get more will, – will yeah. get more calls generically. On the road – Generally, excuse me. On the road, Valpo shot 116 free throws going into the Loyola game, mm-hmm. and they have given up 192. That that is a huge number. That's considerable. That is a huge number, and so they, on average, going into the Loyola game, were giving up ten point eight more free throws per game on the road than they were shooting, and at home, they were only they were only really getting uh just over two a game more than uh than their opponents when i when i first calculated these numbers they were getting one and a half more free throws at home than their opponents and so you know i i deduced out is valpo you know are they getting hazed by the missouri valley conference officials that is a that is a stretch to ask that question and Mm. i don't think the answer is yes but I, I thought it was worth asking, and right. that's, that was the that was the lead of the of the column. And people would read, and yeah, people are going to click on that, of course. <laughs> Hello, it's 2018. Absolutely. What am I supposed to do here? If you guys would read the newspaper more, I wouldn't have to sensationalize <laughs> my articles. Yes. So, anyways, so we write this out, and oh man, did I hear it from the Valley fans, particularly? And I'm starting to realize that I think Northern Iowa fans are just as touchy as Valpo fans. Are. Oh yeah, yeah, I think Northern Iowa fans are real. Well, you touchy you about called them team. out specifically at one point. Well, didn't because you? then a couple games later, so mind you, mind you, Valpo shoots five free throws at Evansville, and Evansville shoots 23. Uh huh. So Evansville's really good at not fouling, right? Evansville's really good at getting to the free throw line, right? Mm. Then they go to Northern Iowa, and Evansville shoots, hold on, let me count, zero free throws. <laughs> zero free throws they None. shoot, and Northern Iowa shoots 19. So I do a little bit of looking into it. At home, Northern Iowa has shot 176 free throws this year, and they have given up 97. That's it. <laughs> the only other team that's, I mean, actually there's a handful of teams that are, are considerably lower than that. Uh, you've got Southern Illinois, 84. These are all going into Wednesday night's games. Right. Um, 84. And you know, mind you, by the way, Northern Iowa is giving up 97, and that's through eight of their nine home games in, in conference. All these numbers are just conference play. They're averaging 12.1 uh, free throws for their opponents at home, which is uh, is some of the lowest out there. That's just that's crazy. Crazy. It's just, just nuts. So uh, – in the three biggest free throw discrepancy games of the year this year in the Valley, they've all been at Northern Iowa. Against Valpo, uh, Northern Iowa shot 38 free throws to just 16 for uh, the Crusaders. Then there was a game where – I'm trying to think of who this was against uh, – where it was, this was against Illinois State. Northern Iowa shot 30 free throws at home. Illinois State shot seven. And then Northern Iowa shot 19 at home, and Evansville shot zero. Uh, like, and so all the Northern Iowa fans are coming at me pretty strong. Northern Iowa is one of the best teams in the country of playing without fouling. And I'm like, okay, so then let's see what they're like on the road. On the road, Northern Iowa has only shot 89 free throws. They average 22 a game at home, and they average 12.7 a game on the road. And at home, they're giving up 12 free throws a game. On the road, they're giving up 17 free throws a game. Mm. So something's in the water in Cedar Falls, and I don't quite know what it is. Sure. And you and you went there, too. I did go there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was cold. All right. Frostbite Falls, they call it. Oh, good. So, so yeah, you should go. Yeah, yeah. Again, I can't wait <laughs> can't to, wait to make my Iowa. trip to Iowa. They'll call you for a foul, I guarantee you. Probably. It. Yeah. So, no, look. Va- Valley officials are not hazing Valpo. No. Right? Like, they're not... It's not going to happen. Although I'm going to tell you last night, the fix was in. Because when Valpo played at Loyola, <laughs> the line was anywhere from 10 and a half to 12. Uh-huh. And Valpo was mugging Loyola on the last possession of the game. I mean, assaulting Loyola. 
and they did not call the foul. Interesting. It was a nine-point game. Oh. They call the foul, they go to the line, two free throws, it's an 11-point game, depending on... Big-time swing. Depending on where you read your book, yes. so to speak, uh, and you know about this, Vegas. Absolutely. Um, could have determined some things there. Sure. Mugged Loyola. And nothing. Yeah. Like, I want to... Here's the thing. I want to take the video of that last 30 seconds and show it and say, if this isn't a foul, then you can't call... Jay Soroya on touch fouls, you know, 30 minutes right. earlier. Sure. So I don't know. It's tough. Look, I, altogether, I actually think the officiating hasn't been terrible in the, uh-huh. the conference. It hasn't been much different than the Horizon League. No. But it's – and then and one of those Northern Iowa fans came at me and started telling me that, oh, well, you weren't getting good officials in the Horizon League. We get Big Ten officials here and Big 12 officials. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Valpo was the Horizon League was in a consortium with the Big Ten officials. They were getting those officials. Right. The Big Twelve does these games, and the thing is, is these officials don't know Valpo. They don't know the tendencies of this team, and and maybe they'll get to know them or something. I don't know, but uh, I don't like math, but I liked playing with these numbers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Fun. And Big, you get you know you get interesting conversation that comes along with it. Yeah, you know, especially when you're you're pointing out something that is going to, you know, make people think and feel things. Yeah, and look, it it riled some people up. Oh, absolutely. It was good. It was good. So, thank you everyone for clicking on the Northwest Indiana Times <laughs> is Valparaiso getting hazed story. And if you haven't seen it, shoot me a message and I'll make sure you can get a link and it will be all good. But things things turned around after the Evansville game at least for a game. Illinois State limped into the arc. They did. L- limped in. Literally. literally. Uh, Phil Fane out with uh, with a, an ankle, I think. Keyshawn Evans out with a knee. And Illinois State comes in 14 and 11 at the time, 8 and 5 in conference. And they come in and, and Valpo put the screws to him. He did. You were at the game. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, it was a crazy game. And, you know, the thing that that's a kind of a game that I thought when we were watching games at the beginning of the season that we thought we were going to see throughout, right? Exciting. There were highlight plays. The energy was higher than it had been in a long time. Um, the student section was still awful, Oof. but um, we can talk, talk about them at length later. The, uh, but I mean, it was great. You had, you had Golder dunks, you had Bakari just winning out there making uh, a lot of winning plays right I, I mean the hustle plays athleticism was everywhere it's just and Valpo you know they dominated the second half and it was an exciting game to watch Valpo shot 15 free throws Illinois State shot nine so you know it was a yeah it was decent. a it was close-ish yeah yeah it was a 16 point win so it you know not a huge deal uh let's start at the, the end of the game here uh Valpo subs in a couple of their uh, reserves, and uh, Mar- Micah Bradford brings a ball to the court and throws an alley-oop to Marcus Golder. I mean, Illinois State had called the dogs off at this point, uh, but if you remember from the game at Illinois State, you know, Madison Williams throwing down that dunk on Malik McMillan uh-huh. uh, we talked about at length uh, a couple episodes ago. Uh, you have a problem with with uh, Bradford and Golder with the alley-oop there, or do you like seeing that? Uh, you know, it's... Uh... It's tough to gauge because obviously, from a fan's perspective, you enjoy seeing those kinds of things. They're fun. They, you know, they get everyone excited. From a coaching perspective, or you know, a respect perspective in terms of the game and whatever, obviously it's you know frowned upon at times. But I don't know. I mean, yeah. I thought it was fun. You know, it's funny when Madison Williams dunked on McMillan, they called a technical on him because he kind of flexed over uh, yes. over the guy or whatever. And uh, a bunch of Valpo fans kind of messaged and, and said, well, you know, Valpo doesn't do that. And then I just saw the clip uh, from a couple of years ago, Tavon Walker dunking on the kid from Milwaukee. Yeah, and, uh, definitely. And he flexed. Definitely after. did that. Yeah, like, that was, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he comes down and... Uh, yeah, and so, with with good reason. I oh, of mean, course, my of gosh, JJ Panoski, what were you doing? Yeah, look, the point is, is at the end of the day, it's a game. It is, a and game. if you throw a dunk down on somebody, you enjoy it, and it's a fun game. Absolutely, I 
you know, I, did did I have a problem with the dunk at the end? I, I certainly knew that it wasn't a called play. Right. And we asked Marcus Golder about it uh, during media availability a couple days later, and he basically said, uh, I went up, he said he, before the game, he went up to Malik and said, I got your back. I'm going to put some on him. And he did. And then uh, his his reasoning behind that final play was, you know, Micah kind of shot him a look. They, you know, eye contact and all that. And, and uh, Marcus said, I, I wanted to throw one down and put an end to the whole thing. And so we'll see. Yeah. I don't think the way that it shakes out that it looks like Valpo and Illinois State will meet each other in the uh, conference tournament. But it'll be really curious to see if that, you know. And, and also, let's uh, point out, even those those couple dunks, I don't I don't think they were. No. St- they didn't make up for that. Was oh man, no. that was something else. Uh, Valpo knocked down nine three pointers in the game, nine of twenty, and uh, there there were fifty three pointers taken in this game. Yes, Illinois State High shot volume. thirty, and uh, but again, Marcus Golder knocked one down, four of them for Bakari Evelyn, and really an altogether a very very strong game. Watching Bakari play like he did in that game, I enjoyed that. A lot, yeah. He, he just, you know, he just it was gunning and looked like he really, you know, had something to play for out there. And I, you know what, I, you know what I like from Bakari because I, I feel like it's part of his personality. But you know, when waves the arms up and yeah. tries to get the crowd into it and shows emotion, because I think that's, I think he thrives, you know, when he's when he can do that. And you obviously you can only do those kinds of things when the game's either competitive and close or you're winning. How about? Uh... How about this when uh, N- Njai went out, uh, the big guy for Illinois State, Lodic took Smiths and Soroya both out of the game and went John Kaiser at the five. So interesting. So interesting. It was a, such a small lineup. And John Kaiser rips down Division One career high nine rebounds. Ties yeah. his career high with nine rebounds. Plays 30 minutes. Look, I think we're to the point now where we realize that Kaiser is not going to give you a whole lot on offense, but he did knock down a three-pointer. I think for the one of the first baskets uh, out there. But um, I, I just think nine rebounds, good defense, hustle plays. I think that uh, that Kaiser has taken a big step forward these last couple of games. Yeah, right. And you know, you know what's cool is like I was talking to Anthony, who we just had on. Uh, previous podcast was, but I was talking to him, and is I was like, it's cool that I forgot that he was a walk on, you know, like he, like he's done so much now yeah. to where we just John Kaiser plays and John Kaiser contributes, and and that was the thing that you know, Aaron Levitt from from Valpo has said, you know, when are fans going to realize that you don't have to cheer for every little play that Kaiser makes because he's not. He's not a walk-on anymore. Right. He's not the this end of bench guy. He's he's a guy. I mean, if he doesn't break his nose in the preseason, he's probably the starting power forward on this basketball team. <laughs> right. Now, whether or not people out there agree that he should or should not be, because there are a lot of John Kaiser detractors out mm-hmm. there. Because I think there's a lot of people who can't get over the fact that he was a former walk-on. Yeah. But I mean, I was at the Loyola game last night. They're in the game late because of a lot of plays that John Kaiser made. Now we're going to get into that Loyola game, and there was a really interesting kind of sub situation that happened. But uh, Kaiser, I think, played really well, and it was such a fascinating lineup to see. Valpo has dabbled with this going short lineup, and they did it at Northern Iowa. Kaiser was out with an injury for that game, I believe, but that was one where they had to go short just to try to get some ball pressure and get the ball back and and they went on a huge run. Yeah, they got back in the game. You know, but I, I I just looking at who shined in this Illinois State game. You've got yeah, you know, obviously Max Joseph played really well down the stretch of that yes. game and and that was something that was big for him because I think he'd he'd been struggling as of late. We had talked about uh I I said during the game to you, I said I I missed the days of Max Joseph scoring in double figures. And, and then and then he goes and, then and he gets does 12. It. And so Tavon and Max obviously played well, but you look at Bakari, he's a sophomore. He's got two more years of eligibility. Yes. Marcus Golder is a sophomore. He's got two more years of eligibility. John Kaiser has got two more years. Now, is Kaiser going to be asked to do as much as Golder and Evelyn are going to be? No, probably no. not. But, I mean, I, I would – I mean, obviously Bakari will be a starter next year. I would think Marcus Golder is, is – in the mix there for 
Uh, or if not, kind of the super sub off the bench because he can kind of play mm-hmm. two, three, four, I think. Uh, it's just a unique, unique grouping of, of players there. And Jay Soroya didn't do much in this game, but then well, let's fast forward to the Loyola game. And, you know, Valpo loses 80-71, to 71, but that game was closer than the final score indicated. And Jay Soroya played 25 minutes at 12 points, five rebounds, three blocks. Uh, he... He fouls out, and when he fouled out, it really kind of took the wind out of Valpo's sails. But another, I mean, this was a strong game. And I, I was telling people, I didn't quite put this out there on, on Twitter, but I was telling anyone who would listen to me, in, in, I thought Valpo had a shot against uh, against Loyola. I just felt like it was prime upset time. Mm-hmm. And not that Loyola would necessarily be looking past Valpo, but I just felt like, Valpo had kind of turned the corner, I felt, and started to play and compete more. If Valpo was playing for 36 minutes, I think, or 35 minutes, I think they're in a lot more games this year. It's that final five minutes that you just cannot get over the hump of that. Yeah, they've had, they've definitely struggled, you know, especially in high pressure situations. But we, we've talked about this all year. The team's young, they have not played much together and those are the situ- the situations that we see them coming up short in those are the ones where you need experience you need veterans to be able to lead you through that and to not get flustered and when Soroya fouled out Loyola smelled smelled blood in the water and Dante Ingram scored eight straight points I think it was and finished with 16 and six and four assists and two steals and then Clayton Custer who could be I mean he's clearly first team all league and maybe up for player of the year because I really I mean Alizé Johnson was supposed to be this amazing guy and and you know he's good but he's you know, he's probably got the best pro future but we're not voting on best pro future right voting on 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 that so Cameron Crutrig certainly should be one of the newcomers of the year uh, or you know on the first team all newcomer team um, probably Kavion Pippen of Northern Iowa is up there as well and there's some other guys I got to go through the list again but uh, but Valpo I think hung you know, hung right there. And and speaking of all newcomer team, Bakari Evelyn's got to be on the all newcomer team because he's you know new. And I think there's actually an all newcomer team and an all freshman team. Mm-hmm. We're a couple of weeks away from from that. But Tavon Walker, 18 points, and really was playing playing well there. Uh, 12 points for Marcus Golder, 12 for Soroya, 11 for Evelyn. He left the game late in the first half. He rolled his ankle. The only time that he missed and. Uh, he came back in the second half and, and looked fine. And then John Kaiser, another eight rebounds in this game, and had five of them in the second half, which is the mo- more than anybody other player did. But now this brings up a really interesting thing that happened in the game. And I know that, that it wasn't televised really, you know, so. Uh, but Valpo's down a touchdown at the half, 28-21. They come out the second half with the same starting lineup. So Malik McMillan in the first half played five minutes, Missed two three-pointers, had two rebounds and a turnover. Was taken out of the game. Didn't play until the second half starts. Comes in, scores immediately. First first play of the, the half, makes a layup. Then the, and it was an and one. So he's three points right off the bat. Ingram misses a three-pointer, comes down. McMillan hits a little jump shot, little little pop shot in the, uh, in the lane. Now it's 28-26. And Derek Smith's then, there's a steal. Smith scores tied up come out of the break towns hits a three-pointer for Loyola but then there's McMillan works his way down gets fouled hits two free throws he scored seven points in the first two and a half or two minutes and seven seconds of the of the first or the second half about 90 seconds later uh you know we get the sub substitutions there Golder comes in um Soroya comes in and uh, there goes McMillan he's out Kaiser comes in as well McMillan, seven points in the first two minutes of the half, doesn't come in for the rest of the game. Kaiser plays the rest of the game. Soroya plays until he fouls out. And it's unique because, like, you want McMillan to get time. He shined. He looked good. And then they take him out. Yeah. It's a really tough situation. So It's I asked, interesting. You asked Coach. I asked Matt Loddick about it after the game and, and said, you know, what and it, and it, it's, it's always tough to ask those kind of questions because you don't want to come off as critical. But at the same time, like, what, yeah. are you, what are you doing? You just, you know, yeah, like, I mean, it's it's something to question. And he goes, uh, you know, we thought about it a couple times during dead ball timeouts, but we were in such a good rhythm w- with Kaiser and Soroya. He didn't call him out by name, but but that's what he's saying. And uh, 
and and said that it was just it was hard to put him back in. And he's right. They with Soroy and Kaiser on the floor, Valpo was plus eight last night. And so they I mean, they played really well with Kaiser. Kaiser's making hustle plays. And now can McMillan make those plays? Maybe. And and he was scoring in more better ways than Kaiser mm-hmm. was. But right now, as we sit here, Kaiser's probably a better basketball player than McMillan at the moment. Right. He, at least maybe not better but he more trustworthy. Yes. And so the question, and I think this is really the question that a lot of Valpo fans are struggling with, is currently are you trying to give yourself the best chance to win in the 2017-18 season or are you trying to get as much experience for guys that are probably not 100% ready yet so that'll help you next year and the year after yeah. what i mean what, what would you what would what would be your coaching philosophy right now i mean it's it's an interesting thing to think about because Valpo is not making any major moves in the Missouri Valley Conference rankings. Like we know it's not going to happen. I mean, they're locked into Thursday night in the yes. conference tournament now. So we know they're not going. You know, they're not going anywhere. You would, you would just, you would think that young players. This would be the time that they would want them to get, you know, some run and and see what that is. But uh, but maybe that's just not Coach Logg's thinking. Maybe you know, still wants to prove that this team can compete in games and possibly win games and maybe, you know, show some people. But at the same time, you know, then you also still have, you have newer people on the team like a Golder or a Bakari that, you know, they're still trying to get time too. Now it's, it's different because like Malik McMillan is, you know, he's a forward and those are, those are guards, but it's just, it's interesting. It's, I'm, I don't know. I don't really know what to, to make of it. Yeah, and and look, it's one could argue that Kaiser's also a young player. Yes, and that he needs to get experience as right. well. And you know, Kaiser's played four hundred and thirty minutes this year. Uh, McMillan's played three hundred three minutes. Kaiser's averaging double the the minutes that McMillan is. But I I don't uh, I don't know. I will say, talking about this this topic and and getting young players run. The one thing I will say. I'm still baffled, and I just really want to know what the deal with Parker Hazen is. We asked uh, we asked Matt Loddick after the Illinois State game. We did media availability. We asked him. Uh, uh, I think he got in for like the last forty seconds or a minute. Yeah, like two minutes. Something. I think he logged on stats. And uh, and we asked him why why that game, and Loddick said we. We were winning, you know. And if you think about it, Valpo has not really had any empty the bench type moments in a no. while this year. I mean, if Illinois State, yes, but Indiana State they won. They only won by six. Drake, uh, you know, they won by seventeen. Sure, so that one was maybe. But that that you know they kind of poured it on late in that one. Yeah, I guess more so. I want to know what what was the thing that sparked going from starting to where we are now you know it's just interesting it's fascinating it's question. so interesting and, and it's not like i'm not questioning the coaching or anything i just want to know what the the thought behind is and i think it may be one of those answers that valpo fans don't want to know you know i mean yeah could it, be it, 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 could it possibly be that that you know what they're gonna go their separate ways i have no idea like I, I and I'm, I'm I'm not trying to say like hey wink wink nudge nudge I've got some info because I don't. You just put a really interesting hypothetical out there. Yeah, no, because I, <laughs> I I really don't. But like, what what's gonna happen with this guy? Yeah. And uh, and but I'll tell you this: watch the games, and you see a guy who's engaged, right? I mean, on the sideline, cheering his teammates on. Yes. He's very into it. And and I think that's all you can really ask for. You also, I think you have to remember, like, people are, are, are coming down, like, oh, McMillan, how come he's not playing more? Hazen, he's not playing more. Linson, he's not playing more. There's three guys at the bottom of this rotation, uh, three guys that have averaged the least amount of minutes per game this year, and what mm-hmm. do they have in common? They're all, all freshmen. freshmen. Maybe Matt Loddick is just not a freshman guy. You know, Dean Smith hated playing freshmen, Yeah. right? I mean, there are coaches Tom out there. Tom Thibodeau hates rookies. Yeah, Thibodeau hates rookies, you know? It's just, uh, you know, the coach in draft day doesn't like rookie quarterbacks. <laughs> That's such a great film. Right. Such a such a 
great bad film or bad great <laughs> film, whatever. Yes. But no, I mean, maybe it's I mean, one of the things that Lodic has said continuously is that Kaiser is just a more trustworthy guy right now. Mm. He's been in the system for two years. He knows what they're trying to accomplish. That's not to say that McMillan and Linson and Hazen don't. It's just people can rag on these three guys. How come they're not playing? And now Linson's got an upper body injury, whatever that means. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the three guys that aren't playing this year are all freshmen. No. And you know what? Kaiser didn't play a ton last year. He didn't need to play a ton last year. But his minutes are, are way up there. And look, th- if if those three guys are all back next year, they're all going to be integral parts of the team, I would think. And and we'll, we'll see. I, again, I don't have any idea one way or the other what the thinking is. But, uh, I mean, the guy – the guy started first game of the year, started the first like 10 or 11 games of the year. Right. And uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer. But but I can tell you when he's on the floor, do you do you see, like, do you think he should be playing more? I ha- I don't know. I don't think I've seen enough. Yeah. I mean, I nothing that I've seen has made me think, yeah, let's take, you know. Yeah, I, take I mean, someone I guess out. Kaiser Substitute would be someone. the guy. That, I mean, you're not – you're, okay, people, Where? how come Parker's not playing more? Well, Tavon and Bakari, and you're not touching their minutes or Max's minutes or Marcus's minutes, really, because they're all kind of in the same spot there. Uh-huh. And he's not big enough he's to— He's not big enough to supplant Smits or Soroya. Right. Even when they when they go small, they go small for a reason, and they play. Mm-hmm. And so you're really—you're looking at McMillan, Kaiser, Hazen, kind of, and Linson kind of in that, that group. And, right. And Kaiser— for whatever reason, has emerged out of that group. I think it's fair to say, and and you know, in deference to, to Kaiser's hustle and all that, this is the weakest spot on the team at the moment. But it's also the youngest spot on the team. Three freshmen and a sophomore walk on, former walk on. I don't know who starts at the four the first game of the year for next year. He may not be on Valpo's team right now. He may. It may be Malik McMillan. It may be Parker Hazen. Could be Kaiser. Could be a fifth-year grad transfer. Maybe Fazekas plays the four. I don't think so. Sure. So I I don't know. This is a it's a strange question, and it's one of those things that I almost I I feel really uncomfortable talking about it at this point of the year because there is such an unknown to it. Right. I don't know why the kid's not playing. Yeah. And so my mind would go to he's got to be not playing because he's not going to be playing, and I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. Just something to wrestle with. Valpo's got three games left. They're locked into Thursday night in the Valley Tournament. Uh, they'll either play in the 7-10 game or they'll play in the 8-9 game, one of those two. Uh, if they play in the 7-10 game, I mean, basically to, to get out of the 10 spot, and I've, I haven't looked at every scenario here, they have got to uh, they have got to do some sort of nonsense where they win two out of three games – including the win over Northern Iowa, and Northern Iowa loses two out of three games, including the game to, to Valpo. There is a website out there called mvcfans.com, and there's a guy who breaks down all of the seeding scenarios, and this stuff's fascinating to me. Yeah, uh, There are, with three games left for each team, which is something like, uh, I don't know, 25 games remaining, I think. Um 24, 24 games remaining or something like that, uh, there are still 32,768 scenarios that can My unfold gosh. of all of these games. That's crazy. 26,072 of those scenarios have Valpo ending in the number 10 seed. Four How th- many? 26,000. Oh, my gosh. 4,976 of those scenarios have Valpo ending in the 9 seed. 1,624 of those have Valpo ending in the 8 seed, and 96 out of 32,768 have Valpo ending as the 7 seed. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so just over 27,000 have Valpo playing in the 7-10 game, and about 6,700 have Valpo playing in the 8-9 game. Wow. So they're going to play in the 7-10 game. Yes. And I think the 7-10 game is the later of the two starts. That's I, w- no. I would say so. So so I think, based on what I'm seeing, 
uh, right now Indiana State at 12,384 has the most scenarios to end up as the number seven seed. Missouri State has 7,800 scenarios, and Evansville has 7,700 scenarios. I'm getting all these numbers again. I've di- I did not put this together myself. Uh, this is a guy named Hacksaw on the MVCfans.com board, and I tried to track this guy down, and I was told that he's anonymous. So oh I, yes, I, heard, yes. I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do for you. Here. That would be interesting. So it's so it's currently set up for a Valparaiso, Indiana State seven ten game. That's correct. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, so that is it. You know, and that's actually that's interesting for Valpo because they've won one and the other one was semi competitive. Yeah. So so I I Indiana State and Evansville play each other on. Uh, on February 22nd, I think it is the second to last game of the of the year. Got it. And I think the winner of that game will end up being the number seven seed. The loser will be the number eight seed. Northern Iowa will be the nine seed, and Valpo will be the ten seed. Now, a couple different things can change here over the next couple games. Uh, there's yeah, there's 15 conference games remaining. We play five, you know, five games each each week essentially, or five games each each round, and uh, so 15 games left. Valpo is apparently uh, a 59 to 41% favorite over Bradley and uh, a 55 to 45% favorite over Northern Iowa, according to Hacksaw, who, again, is anonymous. Anonymous. So Valpo, in theory there, if, if this were to hold true, and Northern Iowa looks to be a, uh, a dog at Illinois State, and an underdog at Valpo. If Valpo were to beat Bradley and if Valpo were to beat Northern Iowa and Northern Iowa lost to Illinois State and lost to Valpo, right there, Valpo's in the 8-9 game. So, But what do you want? Do you want to play – if you're in the 8-9 game and you win that, you're going to play the number one seed. You're going to play Loyola. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the 7-10 game and you win that, you're going to probably play Southern Illinois, which is a team that you've beaten already, but they were also down some players. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what Valpo wants. I don't. Yeah. No. No. Idea. I mean, I don't think that they. I don't think they're getting out of ten. So I don't think it really matters. But that is it. That is interesting. Um, they uh, apparently Thursday night at the Valley Tournament is called Drake Night. Oh. Because Drake has been in it so many times. Right. And they're not going to be this year. Drake is uh, is locked in to either two through two through six at the moment. So they're they're not going to be in it. Uh, wow. Yeah, very very you know, interesting. That's a lot of work and a lot of information to to, to be remain anonymous. anonymous. What? Yeah. Like that's impressive. You wouldn't you wouldn't want recognition for that? I would I would Or would look, you just not want criticism for If from you get people? it wrong. Yeah. I mean, I might have just given the fans a bunch of wrong information. That's who knows. Yeah. So Loyola's locked into one or two uh everyone else, you know, really the the one that's most interesting right now is Bradley. Bradley can finish anywhere from two through nine, as can uh, as can Illinois State can finish two anywhere through two nine. through nine, right now. Can you imagine that? They've, you know, you, you got three games left, and you could finish second place or ninth place. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot uh, of pressure. Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty crazy. They, now, mind you, to finish ninth, those are apparently twenty four out of thirty two thousand seven hundred sixty eight oh, yeah. scenarios. Right, but you're saying there's, there's a, a chance. chance. Okay, uh, Parker, we're going to we're gonna wrap up our portion here. We've got a really special guest that's joining the podcast right now. Really, really thrilled to be able to do this interview. Parker, uh, we'll catch you uh, next week. Yeah, Valpo, first, you know, actually, let me, let me say this here. Valpo, home game Saturday night. Bradley, what kind of crowd do you expect to see? Well, I don't expect <laughs> the student section to do much. Um you said, well, what night? Saturday night? Is Saturday night. It'll be That's, the first Saturday night home game of the year. There is big time potential for Saturday. I still, I, I mean, attendance has not been good this year. They gave out, Paul, they gave out free Jimmy Johns and T-shirts, and the student section was not half full. That is pitiful. Yeah. That well, is terrible. Yeah, and, and, and we touched on this a lot last week and with uh, Ethan Hennessy of uh, Happening Hoops. Yes. Be really curious to see what happens, but we'll be back. Uh, you know, so Valpo plays Saturday, then they play Tuesday right away. So uh, you won't hear from us until after the next two games, mm-hmm. and we'll then at that point be locked into where Valpo's going to be here. Uh, so Valpo 
at or home against Bradley, home against Northern Iowa. Come on up and say hi if you see us at the Ark. It's Hall of Fame night on Saturday, season ticket holder appreciation night. The game will be on NBC Sports Chicago. And then Tuesday night, senior night, uh, Tavon Walker and Max Joseph will be honored. And then uh, the game will be on CBS Sports Network for the first time, Valpo on there in, in a long time at home. So, uh, Parker, take care. And now our special guest. 2013 Horizon League Tournament MVP, Eric Bugs. Eric, good to see you, man. Yeah, how, how have you been? I've I've really I've wanted to have you on here for really since we started doing this podcast because I just think you've you've got such an interesting story of your career at Valpo really you know from coming in I think probably what five five ten five eleven a hundred pounds to to leaving they put you through did they make you sweet sleep on the weight bench most of the time your freshman year oh man uh, it's crazy I came in as probably one of the lightest freshmen in the whole conference and. By the time I left, I mean, it just speaks wonders about Bobby Brooks, man. That, that guy is an amazing strength coach. So it was a, it's a lot of fun to watch kind of your maturation. Let me ask you because do you follow Valpo now? Do you keep up with the Crusaders? Yeah, since uh, you know, since I graduated and when even when I was playing overseas, uh, I always kept up with the guys. So I mean, this is no different, especially with the new conference change. So I was really interested to see how the guys feel. And so when you came in, it was only Valpo's second year in the Horizon League. My guess is when you were recruited, I mean, you knew that they were in the Horizon League. They'd been in it. But what what was that experience like, that freshman year you had? You just made a really a really kind of powerful post the other day on, on social media. You came in, and, and you guys went 9-22 and that first year when you were a freshman, and the team struggled. What What was that whole experience like? I mean, coming from high school in Memphis where we had a number of guys end up going to Division One, and we were kind of notorious for going to the state championship to a 9-21 and season at Valpo. I mean, it was, it was really frustrating. I mean, coming in the year before, the guys had a pretty good year. And over the summer, I mean, a few guys transferred. Um, we had a bunch of freshmen signed. McPherson goes down, Diebler goes down, and we're just looking at kind of a team built on freshmen and, you know, guys that were role players on the other team that were actually stepping to a bigger role. So just going through that year probably was – it probably was the most frustrating that I had been in a long time. But it helped with kind of leading the teams after that. And so th- this year's Valpo team is probably more similar to to that year than any other year in recent memory where, you know, suddenly guys have left, they've graduated, they've transferred, and players are being asked to be, play different roles than they've been. As a freshman, you know, coming in, did what did you did you expect to come in be a starter right off the bat? Kind of how how did uh, how did the the minutes kind of come your way your freshman year? Coming in, I definitely wasn't expecting to start. I knew that I would com- compete for a starting spot. But, I mean, McPherson was the point guard, and he had been doing a great job. So I kind of was coming in and looking forward to really learning from him. And when McPherson goes down, Coach uh, Drew, Coach uh, Drew, Homer Drew, he makes the decision, boom, I'm thrown into that starting lineup. And really was a shell shock at first. I think my first three games I played pretty well, played first four games, but eventually hit that freshman wall a lot earlier than what I had expected. But, I mean, you go from a high school senior, you're playing eight-minute quarters, to now you're asked to play, I want to say I was averaging somewhere close to 30 minutes, 30 minutes a night, and that's for a longer period of time, and that was that was difficult. Man. But having McPherson and all those other guys on the bench to help with that cushion, it really helped. It really helped a lot, just as far as the learning experience goes. Matt Matt Loddick talks. The current Valpo coach talks a lot about going through the process. You're a coach now. 
what does the process mean? Did could you recognize even as a freshman that the frustration you were dealing was going to help you down the line? Yeah, I mean, you look at the most successful people, not just in sports but in life in general. They have to learn to embrace failure. Without failure, you really, you really never learn. Failure is that tool that kind of teaches you how to win. Because what you're doing at that point isn't enough. So it teaches you to work harder. It teaches you to think smarter. Failure is one of the most underrated tools, I think, in life. But what this team, current team is going through right now is going to help them. They're, they're going to learn from these experiences. And once they learn, once they really learn how to win, it's going to, it's going to keep going. You look at our, our years at Valpo, we went from a 9-21 and team, learning to win. We did better the next year. And it was just constant progression that whole time. So, I mean, you, you do have to trust the process. Talking about failure – and, and, and frustration, your sophomore year, six games into the year, you go down with an injury. Uh, yeah, kind of what, what even what happened there and, uh, and just what, what did you have to do to keep your mind right throughout that season? So that injury started actually sooner than that sophomore season. I was hurt my freshman year, and it happened really early in that year. But we just kept just kept playing through it. We had already had enough injuries. I made made that decision along with Rob Moore and other coaches just to kind of play through it and monitor it. And it just got worse over the summer. And we decided to pull the trigger and just go ahead and redshirt me that sophomore year. But it, in actuality, it probably helped way more than it hurt. It, it gave me a different perspective. It allowed me to sit next to Coach Bryce, who was the assistant coach at the time, and just kind of analyze the game from a different point of view. A lot of the mistakes I made as a freshman, I didn't make those same mistakes as a redshirt, sophomore, junior, and senior because I had seen it from a coach's point of view. I probably spent more time in the film room uh, just kind of picking coaches' minds and going through – what I really need to get better. It helped to be able to see the things instead of going through. What uh, what was that like when you find out then that that Bryce is going to move one chair over and become the head coach? And and obviously after going through that your sophomore year to to kind of pick his brain quite a bit, uh, I, I got to believe that you you had ultimate trust in each other at that point, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, coach Gore was the main guy on my recruitment, but Coach Bryce played a big part in my recruitment as well. And just building a relationship with him over my freshman year to my sophomore year and then finding out he's going to be the coach when I come back full in full strength my my redshirt sophomore year, it was really exciting for me because now I really get to I really get to learn even more. And I mean, that probably was the turning point in my career. Coach Bryce really taught me how to be a professional as well. Our our practices were always really high intense, but they were shorter, more to the point. Everything that we did with Coach Bryce kind of just transformed our way of thinking, especially with that younger group that we had that redshirt sophomore year in mind. Yeah, you're able to, to, you know, you come in with a large group of freshmen and, and a couple of them end up leaving, Logan Jones, DeAndre Haskins, but then suddenly you've got the group with Brokoff and, and Matt Kenny and Kevin Van Vyke and all of that. I want to step away from basketball for a second because you became a father while you were a player at Valpo. You're not the first player at Valpo to become a father, but I got to believe that it's just a unique challenge. What are you, from Memphis to Valpo is eight hours, right? How do you balance basketball, school, being a father? The ba- how did you try to find balance during you know those those two years that you were here? With, with um, yeah, I would say technology obviously was 
a big helper, but my mom and dad would drive to almost every game, and it helped being able to see my daughter's face over the over the course of the season. When we weren't in season, I was able to drive back and forward, and the coaching staff was really they were really good with just kind of helping pick times and places where I'll be able to see see her more often. And then they were really good at just about keeping my head focused on the end game, which is now being a provider. So my course, my academic life even took a more serious step forward. My on-court habits, now I have a bigger purpose. Everything kind of took focus for me at that point. Your junior year, going back to basketball, your junior year, you guys win the conference. Detroit comes in. Ray McCallum, you guys are, are hosting the conference title, and and they beat you guys by 20 on your home court. Was that the toughest defeat that you suffered at Valpo? I would say yes. Uh, it, it wasn't just the fact that we lost. It was in the manner in which we lost and the place in which we lost. We had worked so hard to get to the point to where we could host and then we go through in the game against Butler. We we beat Butler pretty handedly, and we're we're up. The spirits are high. We're feeling good. And then Detroit comes in, and they're a hungrier team, and they kind of deflate us. And I would say that that was the biggest. That that was definitely the biggest loss that I've taken at Valpo. But it set the stage for. A uh, really, really solid senior year from that that senior group that we had. Your senior year game at Detroit is one of my favorite games ever. You guys are like down twenty in the second half, and you come back and you win at their place. Now you'd hit a buzzer beater at Detroit the year before, I think your junior year. You had the layup at the buzzer, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, was was Detroit your big rival in college? good rival but you look at our games and when we beat they were always double digit games yeah outside of maybe one detroit was always close we didn't at that point we didn't like detroit detroit didn't like us and it, it was just a, that was a really good rivalry it was good for it was good for the league so to be able to come back at, we just wanted that one we wanted that one a lot more those are some fun games, good memories there. Your senior year is kind of a unique thing from a roster perspective. You've been the starting point guard for it seemed like forever. Whenever you have a redshirt year, it just seems like players are there for a long time. Then Levante Doherty comes in at the beginning of the year, and then halfway through the year, Keith Carter comes in. What were the practices like? Be, you know, the competition. I think Keith was probably still hurt at that point, but but take us into the practices of the battles between you and Levante, and, and if if Keith ever made it onto the court with you guys. Well, one thing about our practice practices at Valpo, were we used to go up and down a lot, and it was always we had this kind of players like union in our locker room that kind of just made us it forced us to want to be better to want the next person to be better and what better way to make the next person better than going at each other at practice so our practices were always intense and that's probably where we where we built our biggest bond because we had that type of bond where hey practice is going to be about business it's going to be our toughest game i'm gonna go at you you're gonna go at me when practice is over we're back to being best buddies but when we're on the floor, there there's no no friendship there. So we're going at each other. We're and that's how we kind of built that competitive edge. You look at our games, our senior year, and we we looked all looked in sync. But that's mainly because we built that kind of rapport in practice. You, talk to me about the Ryan broke off three pointer against Green Bay. What? How did you see the play unfold? Not again. We 
where he had just lost to Detroit the year before, and you kind of just felt had that feeling in the in the arc like we blew it. This was our this was our shot. This was our year, and we blew it. Detroit had just got knocked out, and boom, we we just lose. We're losing. We get that rebound. Kevin gets the rebound. He outlets it to Ryan. Ryan comes up and he makes makes a couple moves and double clutches. That's what scared me the most. He double clutches, and if you watch the film, I'm jumping in the air as he's shooting because I think it's short, and all of a sudden, boom, it falls. And that may have been the fastest I've ever ran. (laughs) (laughs) I had to find Ryan, and it was just, we knew then that, hey, we we got to win the championship. We have to win that championship. Yeah, you can't you can't pull a shot like that and then not finish it off. So, March 12th, 2013, it's got to be the biggest basketball game of your career. Horizon League title game, Wright State. Billy Donlin essentially dares you to beat them, and you do. At what point did you get the feeling that you were going to have to be the guy that was going to do it? It may have been, and I'm trying to think of the exact play. They go, they loop around, and Arthur Nix pops out, and it's a bad pass. And we had a timeout before that, and I just remember me and Ryan in the guys' faces just trying to get everyone back in it. We had, we haven't used to being down, but this is the second game in a row. We started off with great momentum, and then we let the team come back, take a lead, and it's getting down to the crunch time. Get a hand on the ball, get a layup, and I had been playing pretty well, but when we got that steal, it kind of, it kind of jolted energy back in the team. And we had a different bounce in our step on defense, and the thing that was going through my head was, I just want to make winning plays. I just want to make a play to give us a chance. And luckily, <laughs> we were blessed enough that plays just kind of unfolded, play after play after play. And eventually, they had to help on my drive. Ryan hit the big three in the corner. And <laughs> you look up and we're Horizon League tournament chances. I'm looking at the play-by-play of this game right now, and your memory is impeccable about this. Because, yeah, four and a half minutes left. You guys are down four. Packer turns it over. You steal it, and you score. Brokoff gets a steal. You get fouled. You hit two more free throws after the timeout. You tie the game. You hit another free throw. Brokoff hits the three-pointer. And I don't think they really scored much for much of the rest of the game. I think they scored two baskets in the final eight seconds after the game was was over with. But what was that feeling like knowing you were going to the NCAA tournament? It was maybe the the best feeling I've felt playing basketball in a long time. It's a lot of guys that play college basketball, and that's even a small number in comparison to the guys that don't. But every kid has that dream of playing in, playing in the tournament. And it didn't matter to us who we played. It's just the fact that we got back to the tournament. And we were the team to do it. I think we had a nine-year drought at that point. And we finally get back. And just to take that loss the way we took it, it was was the best feeling that that we could have ever thought of. And then when when you get to play Michigan State and you get there, I mean, do you have fond memories of that, or is that tough because it was the final game of your collegiate career? Is it bittersweet? It was. I mean, there's not a lot of times that you get to play a Tom Izzo coach thing. There's not a lot of times that you get to play on the NBA floor. But the fact that we made it a game was pretty cool. Um, we got down by a lot in that halftime. We come, we come in, and we're just like, look, if we're gonna go out, let's go out swinging. And we come out, and we make it, a, make it a good game. We cut it down a little bit, and I want to say we end up losing by maybe eleven. Yep. But it was, it was a game for a while. And to see Tom Izzo get upset, that's classic. I, uh, I, I'll never forget the photograph of you and 
Ryan broke off kind of walking hand in hand back to do the post game media stuff. And, uh, and just, it was, it was a special moment and certainly a special group. And, uh, do you still, do you keep in contact with the guys? Oh yeah, definitely. I talked to, uh, Ben Boggs and Bobby and Ryan. I talked to everybody pretty often. Levante, he's over in a, he's over in Holland right now. I think so I keep up with the guys as much as I can. Where I'm being in Russia kind of, You were, you were a very close group, uh, rocking the green jacket competitions you would do and all of that were, were great memories. Uh, so whereas uh, you, you played professionally for a little bit, you're coaching now, kind of what has been your career arc here in the last five years since you graduated? Um, I've been playing. Once I graduated, uh, did a couple, couple camps in a D-League, was out in L.A. with that for – maybe a month before going to Switzerland. I spent two years over there and then a couple of years in Chile. Did a little time in Canada. It was it was pretty cool. Uh, just being able to travel the world and play play ball and that's just a that's just a blessing. A lot of people don't get the opportunity to continue playing their career. So for me to be able to do that was great. Could have took another year to play but I got another calling here, staying at home playing staying at home coaching, and that's been pretty that's been pretty good. That's something that I've always wanted to do ever ever since I was old enough to really bounce the ball. I knew I was going to be a – I knew I was going to eventually be a coach, and this is something that I really take a lot of pride in. I got a youth, youth basketball team that we do in the summer under my training company, and it's just fun. I coached the high school varsity level, and being able to just teach the game of basketball and also mentor mentor young men—that's something that is just life changing. That's great. That's great. Uh, my final question for you, Eric: you know, Your group helped end this nine-year drought and take Valpo back to the tournament. The guys that came in the next year, Alec Peters, Jabril Adekoya, guys who were coming to a lot of your games. They get back to the tournament, then they go to the NIT championship the next year. Now we're kind of back to the point where where Valpo's in a new league, and, and you know, is, is it is it hard to see them struggling, or or do you know that that you know can you appreciate the fact that your group helped lay the foundation to get Valpo into this new conference? You know, one of the tougher conferences in the country. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's it's hard to see them, but it's easy to kind of understand what they're going through. And that's a hard-working group. Coach Lodick is one of the hardest-working young coaches in the NCAA right now. And I can guarantee he has has that team where they want to be really, really soon. So, I mean, just knowing that we helped with, you know, them getting into that conference, it's something that I can tell my kids tell my kids about and you've got you have a second child now right yeah i have a a young boy right now so that's that's something that's pretty cool is it got do do either one of your kids have a basketball in their hand yet uh my little boy he's one and he he goes to sleep with it uh, <laughs> and it, it's pretty crazy didn't didn't put it didn't really just do much but put it in his hand he comes to all the games he's alert at the games and he just mimics the players that's kind of cool to watch very good well they, you got to talk to luke Gore. you got to get the crusaders down there to play memphis so we can uh, we can get you to a game hey that'll be nice so all right eric bugs thank you very much for taking the time to chat here and uh, again always always a pleasure oh man thanks Theo.